mai, Heidi mai, ki tēnei hōtaka. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Wallace Chapman here. Today, the independent review into Auckland Council's immediate response to the Auckland anniversary floods has just been released. In fact, they are talking now. The preparation wasn't good enough, Mayor Wayne Brown said. Reaction to that just after four on the panel. The state of our fresh water release today, spoiler alert, it's not good. Nearly half our rivers are unswimmable. What is going on? When was the last time you swam in a river and where? Also on the panel today, most people want the pension age to stay the same. A new study out today. What about you? It costs $18 billion a year. And pizzas are being delivered by drone into one New Zealand city, a clue it used to have a decker. And do we need perfume-free spaces? This came from the office this morning. Do we need fragrance etiquette in Aotearoa? When is it just too much, Hugo Boss? Text me, 2101. You can email the panel at rnz.co.nz. With me this afternoon, Jenny Giblin, Director of Funding HQ and a farmer from Central Hawks Bay. Jenny, welcome to the panel. Hi, Wallace. Nice to be here. Good to have you here also with Mark Sainsbury, broadcaster, MC. Kia ora, Mark. Kia ora, Wallace. Right, Mark and Ginny along for the ride this uh, afternoon. Now, to this first, more and more Pacifica Rugby League stars are choosing to represent their home nations rather than New Zealand. This comes on the back of the IRL's decision five years ago to allow players with roots in more than one country the right to choose which nation they play for. And while playing for Australia or New Zealand was once considered the traditional career move, we are already seeing the impacts of players choosing their island nations over us. Just look at last year's Rugby League World Cup, which saw Tor Samoa become the first Pacific nation to reach the final. Extraordinary stuff. With us is Dr Dion Enari, lecturer in sport and recreation at AUT, co-authored a piece on this very topic in the conversation, Dr. Inari Kiora Malole Soifua. Malole Soifua, Talofa, good to be here. Good to have you here. Now, why do you think that more and more players are choosing their home nations over recognition that might come from playing for the lights of Aotearoa? Yeah, it's quite interesting. Our research uh, shows that a lot of them, in fact, are in a nutshell, are paying homage to their parents and their ancestral bloodlines uh, by playing for their island nations such as Samoa and Tonga. Yeah. Would some have given up hefty paydays, you know, to play for their home nation? Uh, absolutely, yes. We're seeing, um, we're doing analysis right now and uh, some of the costs um, incurred by doing that is at the sum of six figures. So, yes. <laughs> wow. Really? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so that's extraordinary, isn't it? So it really is a case of heart before the bank balance. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, well, let's bring a panel on this. Uh, Mark Sainsbury, this is uh, it's quite it's a really interesting development in uh, sport, isn't it? This, yeah, because there's always been that sort of tension over us using yeah. Pacifica players, and you know they've been the backbone of our teams, and then they get stuck. And also, I think for rugby league, because any sport has to expand. 
it's not going to expand if it's just basically you know a tiny group of countries. You've got to if you start seeing it developing in the Pacific, that's great for the sport. But um, but Dr. Anadi, the, that's a huge sacrifice because a lot of these guys and men in the in the main, I guess, I mean they're a, a financial future for their families. I mean they're having to balance up. You said they give away six figure sums for the pride of playing for the country they love. Um, that could have a an economic impact too, couldn't it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And again, that's uh, at the players' discretion. So some of them have been able to to balance um, the pay cut that they receive from playing for uh, for more and then getting different um, merchandising uh, sponsorship deals as well. So it's it's a very complex um, space that a lot of these Pacific players are now um, navigating. Yeah. Yeah, Jenny. Well, it's such a heartening story, isn't it? Really about values and cultural heritage. And I think, you know, we so often hear the opposite, don't we? We hear about sports players that are lured by the dollar and, you know, even taken away from our shores because they're they're chasing the dollar. So I think this is a really interesting flip um, in in the sporting space, particularly in the league space. And is it good for young Pacific coming up, Dion, to uh, to see this and uh, see that recognition that goes into playing for the mother country, saying, well, actually, this is actually, from now on, it's it's a pathway that maybe I too can follow? Uh, absolutely, yeah. And it's important to also um, redefine the narrative. So a lot of times, a lot of these um, athletes are defined as um you know, so we'll take Sione Famuina, who is a rugby player of Samoan heritage, when in fact it's actually the reverse. They are Samoan blood through and through who happen to be athletes. So when we acknowledge the cultural identity as first and forefront before uh, they were athletes and long after they're athletes, then we then truly begin to unpack and understand the importance of their culture. And um, particularly for us, Samoan service is a big one. So when when you're able to analyze and make those links, you then see yeah just why they're they're picking the pride over the bank checks. <laughs> Doctor Anari, we like to think that we're massive, we're, we're sports mad, we're fans, all that, all that sort of, all that sort of thing. What mm. is it? What is it about? What is the pull? Is it the culture? Is it the country? Is it family? What is it mm. that is so so strong? Yeah, it's it, it's all those factors again. Um, a lot of these athletes, if you go and look at their interviews, they acknowledge that they wouldn't be where they are without their parents, without their extended family, without their ministers, without the help of their villagers. So, it's it's never about the individual athlete by themselves. They're always a part of a bigger collective network, and it's always about trying to repay how the collective had helped them through. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that this might help grow? the code internationally, you know, uh, increasing awareness of the game's place in the Pacific, choosing to play for their homelands. Do you think this will be good for the code uh, overall? Yeah, I absolutely, uh, you know, by this movement of Tongan players playing for Tonga and Samoan players playing for Samoa, they've given the next generation permission to be able to do the same, to let them know that it's okay to also do so. And in terms of the code internationally, I absolutely um, agree with the other panelists as well. It's nothing but good for the game. We don't like seeing predictable thrashings like yeah. we used to. So, <laughs> yes, we like to see some decent competition. <laughs> absolutely. I've got to say, I mean, this is no surprise, this is a Dion, but uh, it's it's been nothing short of a renaissance when you see these Pacifica teams and, and then with it the followers and supporters that go along, uh, the whole, whole stadium may become 
decked out in, for example, Tongan flags. It's actually been quite a hallmark of the last few years in sport here, hasn't it? Yeah, and, you know, it's it's interesting because, um, you know, we've seen um, what's interesting in terms of sports is we've seen a lot of the Pacific athlete do well on the field, but now the rest of the world is also seeing how Pacific fans are engaged. We sing our traditional hymns, we do our traditional dances, and we have a lot of fun along the way. Yeah. Yeah, so it's all good for the game. It's all good for the fabric of the game internationally. Good on you. Thanks for being with us, uh, Dr. Inari. Uh, kia ora. That's uh, Dion Inari, lecturer in sport and recreation at AUT. Interesting uh, piece, actually, in the conversation about how more and more Pacific Rugby League stars are choosing to represent their home nations rather than uh, New Zealand. Uh, we swim every summer in the Mai Tai. Lovely swimming holes just up the river from Nelson City. Well, I know that swimming, those swimming holes very, very well. So clear. You can see the stones in the bottom. But is that still the case? We talk about that today. Nearly half our rivers are unswimmable. But is there a river that you can still swim in nearby? All right. Uh, it is time for I've Been Thinking. Ginny Giblin, take it away. Well, I've been thinking about how out of touch the government is with rural New Zealand. And um, that occurred to me last night again when uh, our census papers were finally dropped off. And I asked the guy that was dropping them off why it had taken so long for us to receive our census papers. And according to the government um, stats department, our house was condemned and nobody lived where we lived. Um, And we've had our families lived here for 120 years. So that was a bit bizarre. Followed by that was the fact that he was going up to visit the local school, which he had listed as a residential place. And there's no buildings left at that school because it closed 10 years ago and certainly no one lives there. And I just kind of thought, as a family and as businesses that we run from here, isn't it bizarre that we are listed as not living here, our place is condemned, um, when we have such a lot of interaction with government departments? Oh. Really odd. It is, isn't it? Did you fill up the census? We did. We felt we did. We filled it out last night, so all done. But um, it is quite it is quite odd, and it made me lose even more faith in the whole census process, which has been you know has been under um, a lot of criticism from the last census, and it made me wonder whether anything was going to be better this time round. How uh, how's your uh, issues with insurance? You're in Hawke's Bay. Well, since you were last talking week, about well, that last time. No, well, look, we've heard nothing further. Um, and actually, last time I think I was bragging, we'd only made two insurance claims in the last 20 years. Yeah. We've had to make two more today. A, a dog died on the property, which was awful, and somebody oh. drove into his car in a school car park. Um, but we've heard nothing back, nothing at all on our farm um, insurance for, from following Cyclone Gabriel. What? Even since yep. the last time you you were on the panel, yep. Last time where I was on the panel, they wanted to come and do a rev- they wanted to come and view our dead stock, which you know we're now seven or eight weeks on from the cyclone, so they're long gone, and um, and they wanted to come and assess um, the fencing. We'd t- we've taken photos and, and videos of all the damage. Um, still haven't heard a thing. Good heavens. Let's <laughs> hope that's a long wait. All right, thank you, Jenny. Uh, Mark Sainsbury, I've 
been thinking? Yeah, well, as I've been thinking about so many friends lately and their brushes with our health system, and we know the pressure it's under. I ran into this guy, fantastic guy, Paul Quigley, in the supermarket in Wellington the other day, and he's head of the, um, he's an emergency medicine specialist, and he just looks stuffed. And he was, and so is his whole team. They simply don't have enough beds. It is chaos, yet on they go. Now, this came home and two wider whānau members ended up in hospital with worrying issues. Both were thrown into the emergency maelstrom, yet both were treated with incredible care and thoroughness, and both had a good outcome. But to cap off my week of insights into the health system, a dear, dear friend of mine, Furima Ono Tuiasau, he's in hospital right now. He's just had a successful operation for a sudden and serious reasons. All he wanted to do was for me to give a shout out to the incredible staff at Middlemore's Ward 34. His wife, Philippa, said they couldn't have wanted for more. Well, I've been thinking about you, Fui, and Philippa, and all those amazing people we hope we never have to call on as they struggle in a system that's in crisis but continues to care. So, Ward 34, Middlemore? Ward 34. Look, you know, we all know, we all know it's all creaking, Wallace, but personal, everyone I know who's been there in an emergency situation goes, you know, I mean, that is fantastic. And you know the pressures they're working under. How they do it, I just do not understand. Yeah, we had uh, Paul quickly on every now and then when we did uh, the Bank Benters show. Uh, he's a, he's he's a straight shooter, isn't he, Watts? Oh, he's totally he's, straight, he's not, yeah. left, not left doubting where he stands. No, doesn't mince words. And, uh, you know, if he's under strain, because he, yeah. you, you get a sense that he carries a lot, eh? Um, it's, it's, it's quite... It must be quite something, uh, hour by hour, day by day, night by night, working in oh. uh, an emergency department, huh? Yeah. Well, Fui and Philip have said they couldn't have had it better, and, you know, they're going through a tough time, you know? All right. Very good. All right. Uh, wonderful stuff. Uh, Jenny Giblin and Mark Sainsbury, uh, keep up your feedback. Uh, there is too much synthetic perfume. It's very offensive. Fortunately, there are Kiwi natural perfumers doing uh, amazing things. So uh, we talk about that as well. Uh, do, is it time? Is it actually time that we need some fragrance etiquette uh, in places like the office? What's your thoughts on that? You're on the panel on RNZ National, the flood review, straight after four o'clock on the panel. Stay tuned.